So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 8. Simon, the story of Simon Magus. We're going to get there. I'm going to give a little bit of background. But um, Simon, that guy, becomes a baptized Christian. But in our text today, the apostle Peter tells him, you're not really saved. You're baptized, you call yourself a Christian, uh, but your faith is false. It's not the kind of faith that God rewards with his spirit and with eternal life. And Simon Magus' story is a cautionary tale. Uh, for, because there are some people who call themselves Christians who go so far as to get baptized, uh, but the fact of the matter is they're in it for the wrong reasons. And uh, their faith is false and God is not re rewarding it with, with salvation. And so we want to look at Simon's story to learn from it, to, uh, as it cautions us. What is it about his faith that made it false? And uh, as a result, get a clearer picture of what, what constitutes true faith in Christ. Here's the background. Last week we... Last week we talked about the stoning of Stephen, the very first Christian martyr. And with Stephen's stoning, a persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. In fact, it was such a significant persecution led by Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, that the Bible tells us other than the apostles, all the Christians left Jerusalem to escape the persecution. And they took with them the gospel. And so the Lord actually used that persecution to, uh, to expand the, the preaching of the gospel took it places other than just Jerusalem. Well, one of the people who uh, left was Philip. And we don't know for sure if this is Philip the apostle or Philip the, the deacon, one of the first seven, or whether they're the same guy. We don't know. But Philip goes to Samaria. And this is a big deal because in the minds of a Jew uh, at this time, there were three types of people in the world. Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans. Jews had the blood of Abraham, Gentiles did not, and Samaritans were kind of mixed. A Jew would have called them like a half-breed, that they had the blood of Abraham. Their ancestors had the blood of Abraham, but they had married Gentiles, intermingled, and they had uh, also had a mixed or a mixed-up religion. In fact, um, when the exiles, when the Jews returned from exile in Babylon and Assyria, the Samaritans wanted to help rebuild the temple, and they said, no, you can't. You have apostatized, and uh, you have no share in this. And so what did the Samaritans do? They established their own competitive uh, temple on Mount Gerizim. They still followed Moses. They considered Moses their prophet, but they only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the uh, Torah, and Jesus had pronounced upon the Samaritan religion when he said to the woman at the well, salvation comes from the Jews. So there would have been in the minds of, of some of these early Christians this question, can the Samaritans, these uh, apostates, can they have any share in the Messiah? And some of them would have said, of course not. Uh, Jesus is the Messiah for the pure Jews. And so the gospel coming to the Samaritans, Philip preaching it to the Samaritans, this is a big deal in church history. And so we pick up the story in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. 
And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. And of course, uh, joy is what follows the uh, receiving the gospel, doesn't it? Because God has good things in store for us. God's desire towards us is a good desire. So Simon, uh, Simon Magos, Simon the magician, he was um, operating in one of these Samaritan towns. We don't know if he was a Samaritan himself or not, but verse 9, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Uh, John Piper gives this analogy to describe the faith of uh, Simon Magus. He says, imagine a mom is holding a little infant, and she tries to point out a, a pretty bird out the window. Look at the birdie. Look at the, look at the bird. Look at the pretty bird. See his flap? Oh, pretty colors. And the infant... What does the infant look at? Almost always it's mom's hand, right? And the infant gets excited because mom's voice has changed and she's excited and ah, cooing and staring at the hand. And maybe the little baby like, tries to mimic the hand. And, and Piper says, that is Simon Magus. He is not attracted to God. He's attracted to the power of God. Simon Magus is attracted to the power of God, not the person of God. So the signs and wonders performed by the apostles were intended to point to whom? Point to Jesus Christ. It's done in the name of Jesus. So who are we to be amazed by? Who's to impress us? God himself and son Jesus Christ. Instead, uh, Simon Magus is like a little infant who gets all excited by the hand. In fact, in the text, I find it interesting that after being baptized, he continues with Philip, seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. He's amazed at the power, not at the message. Not at the message that your sins can be forgiven because Jesus Christ died upon the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He's not amazed at the fact that God wants to be reconciled to us and that he invites us to live with him forever and ever in heaven. He's not amazed that the Spirit of God uh, considers us uh, worthy in Christ to indwell us. He's amazed at, at the power. He's focused on the hand. And how many people are there in this world who call themselves Christians, but they really don't care about God? They care about what God might be able to do for them. They're amazed at the power, but not the person of God. 
We continue, verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Okay, so remember, the word of God coming to the Samaritans is a big deal. And news gets back to Jerusalem, and the apostles are like, really? We've got to check this out. And so they send kind of the, the two most well-known apostles, Peter and John. Go check it out. Make sure it's real. Who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, some have taken this text to, um, and suggested from it that baptism in the Holy Spirit is um, a secondary work in the life of a Christian. And so they look at this and they're like, oh, you can be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and not be filled with the Holy Spirit and not have the Holy Spirit reside within you. And so if you go to a church that teaches this, uh, they might ask you, hey, have you, have you been baptized yet in the Holy Spirit? You'll say, well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I know that. But, but have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I've been baptized. I know, I know. But baptism in the Holy Spirit is a, is a, um, a second event and you need to seek it, and you need to ask for it, and it's possible to be a Christian and not to have the Holy Spirit. And uh, we do not believe that here at Clearwater Church. Uh, that is false. Uh, it is a misuse of, of the Bible, and it's misusing this text here. This is one of those texts that is descriptive and not prescripted. It is describing what happened, and it's not prescribing the way it normally happens. Um, this, this in the history of the, of the uh, spread of Christianity is a unique event. And God deemed it necessary to kind of, um, with unmistakable clarity, stamp his approval on the Samaritans coming to Christ. And so he waits until Peter and John, kind of the super apostles, are there. And uh, they lay their hands on and the, uh, the Samaritans and the Holy Spirit descends upon them apparently. Obviously, with some clear, some, uh, clear uh, demonstration, so that it is, it is uh, nobody has any doubts in their minds. God has just said the Samaritans can be full members in the Christian community. They don't have to kind of uh, become Jews again. They can go repent of your sins, put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you can be included fully and instantaneously into the, the community of the Messiah. And so this is a big deal. We see this happen, by the way. This happens again when, a couple chapters later, when the, when the Gentiles, represented by Cornelius, come to faith. It's God saying, the gospel is not just for the Jew. It's for the Samaritan, and then again, it's for the Gentile. God's heart is for, has always been, to bless all the nations in the world through the person of Jesus Christ. Well, Simon, picking up in verse 18, Simon Magus has been watching this. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought, you could obtain the gift of God with money. 
You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. By the way, um, here in verse 21, I think he's making it very clear that Simon is not truly regenerate. Simon is not a Christian. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. And the word matter there is the Greek word for uh, word or message uh, as well. So you have no part in this whole Christian message, this whole word of God. Uh, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Peter is relating to Simon Magus as an unbeliever. What, What do the unbelievers need to do? Repent and get right with God. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Gall, by the way, is uh, um, bile. The gall bladder produces bile. And he's basically saying you're stewing in the poison of bitterness. Uh, The uh, New uh, English translation says bitter envy. You're sitting there stewing in your envy. What's he envious of? We'll talk about that. He's envious of what he's lost. He, he, he used to be the amazing one, and he's been upstaged. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So Simon's faith is deficient in two ways. Peter says, number one, you have a deficiency of the head. You're thinking about the things of God wrong, wrongly. And secondly, you have a deficiency of the heart. The motivation of the heart, the intent of your heart is wrong. Number one, the deficiency of the heart. In verse uh, 20, Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Simon is approaching the grace of God as a commodity, something to be bought and sold, something to be earned as if God had need of something that Simon could offer. How many people approach God with the, the idea that, that uh, I'm going to earn God's love, I'm going to earn my salvation? And they're, they're unwilling to, or they're, somehow they, don't, they just can't get their heads around the idea that God simply wants to give them a gift that they are to receive. Uh, uh, one of my roommates in college, uh, a Christian, grew up in an Episcopal church. But he was just, he was um, baffled that I claim to know for sure I'm going to heaven someday. He just thought that was crazy. He'd say, Mike, you cannot know for sure that you're going to heaven because you don't yet know what you're going to do with your life. And you, it might be that you, you don't live a good enough life and you won't actually earn your spot in heaven. And I thought, no, uh, I know for sure that I'm going to heaven because it's not about what I can earn, it's about what Jesus Christ has done. And I've received it. And I'm walking in that, uh, in that grace, that unmerited favor. And, and frankly, I'm not, I, based on my understanding of the scripture, I am not at all confident that my roommate is a Christian even though he thinks he is, and even though he's been baptized, because he's trusting in his own good works and his own effort to secure uh, the, the favor of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of sins, rather than in the gift of Jesus Christ. And so if you're trying to earn it, you're not 
receiving it. And that is a precondition to becoming, uh, to being a Christian. So Simon has a deficiency in his thinking. The grace of God is something to be bought and, or sold, a commodity. Secondly, uh, he has a uh, deficiency in his heart. Your heart, verse 21, your heart is not right before God. Verse 22, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. Pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Why did Simon want the power to impart the Holy Spirit with the laying on of hands? Why was he not content for the apostles to have that power? Why did he want in on it? Because, I think it's this bottom line, he wanted to be amazing again. What did we learn about, uh, what was Simon Magus's position in, in the town, in the city, prior to Philip showing up? Multiple times the text says, from the greatest to the, to the smallest, they paid attention to him. They listened to him. He was the big man on campus. He was, this is the great, the power of God. And they viewed this guy as, uh, as, as connected to God himself, as powerful. And um, he had respect. He was, uh, I'm sure, financially well off. People paid him to, uh, to kind of uh, apply some of his power toward their needs. He had been amazing. And then Philip showed up and the gospel shows up and he's, no, he's now kind of second or third string. And he wants to be amazing again. And so he sees, he sees this, uh, uh, my, these, these guys put their hands on somebody and they, they receive the Holy Spirit. I want that. If I have that, I then get to become amazing again. And that's, his, that's the intent of his heart. And that's what Peter is saying. You are in the gall of bitterness. You're stewing in your bitter envy of what you have lost, your position, and you want it back. That's your motivation. Why is he following Philip around? I think it's because as a magician, why was he able to amaze the people in Samaria? He had some kind of knowledge they didn't have. Whether it was simply he had some uh, scientific knowledge they didn't have so he could do things that they could not explain and they just attributed to, you know, the guy is to, to God. Or whether he was truly connected into the demonic world and had a, a sorcery spiritual power. We don't know. But bottom line is he had secret knowledge that gave him one up. Gave him a, a, a power. And I think he was following the apostles around because he was wanting to figure out that secret knowledge. Did you know, um, now, here in our text, Luke, the writer, doesn't tell us how this ends. But the early church fathers tell us that Simon Magus became the founder of Gnosticism, the first Christian heresy. And that's told by uh, Justin, Justin Martyr uh, and... Irenaeus and Tertullian, and they say they, they actually talk about Simon Magus as the as the the founder of uh, all Christian heresy. He called they called themselves Christians, but they had a very different take on Christianity. To sum up uh, the deficiency in Simon's heart, I would say this: uh, he he was desiring self glory not God's glory. He, he wanted to be amazing. He was not amazed with God. 
So some takeaways for us. Number one takeaway, uh, salvation is a gift to be received. And that offends our human pride, doesn't it? But I'll tell you what, if you're somebody who is poor or poor in spirit, this is incredibly good news. It doesn't matter how weak you are, how poor you are in, in the world's eyes, you can have a full share in everything God offers. Because it's a gift that does not depend upon you at all. You don't have to bring anything to the table except arms open wide. And nothing, nothing that God has for humans is uh, beyond you. You just receive. But it does, it does demand that you give up the pretense that God has need of something you offer. He wants you, but he does not need you. God saves us to do good works, but our good works don't save us, and that's a very important difference. The second big takeaway, in order to uh, um, illustrate it, I've asked uh, Morgan to come up and help me. So, uh, first off, here's what she could win. She could win one of these Starbucks Frappuccinos, and I even had them in the freezer, so they're nice and chilled here. Wouldn't you like one? I know you like these because you make me start stop at Starbucks sometimes for frappuccinos. But just so you get sort of really desirous for this. Mm, it's cold, satisfying. Starbucks needs to make a donation. But here's the problem. You have to hold this in your hands. Both hands have to be touching the bag. Oops, now you're going to lose your potatoes there. Sorry. Now, if I offer this to you, but, you have, but you're holding your potatoes, do you want it? Now, what do you have to do to get this? That's right. Oh, yes, you can just let the potatoes fall. Yes, you have to lay that down. Go ahead and do that. There we go. Yes, thank you. Show us how good it is. <laughs> thank you, dear. The potatoes represent self-will, self-ambition, self-goodness, my good works, if you want to receive Christ, if you want to take hold of Christ, you first got to lay down self. This is a fundamental principle of the kingdom of God. You want Christ, you have to give up yourself. And that's, that was the bottom line with Simon Magus, right? Uh, he, wanted, he wanted to have his potatoes and his frappuccino. And Peter's saying, it does not work that way. If you want to be a Christian is all about saying, I'm done with me. I'm not getting me very far. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I need someone beyond me to save me. And so Christianity is fundamentally about giving up the big I in order to grab, to take hold of Christ. And with that comes the, the power of God to transform us. 
And with that comes uh, God himself. The great reward of the Christian life is God himself. And when you get into a relationship with the creator, you live forever and ever with him. And all that he has becomes yours. You become a child of God. That's amazing. And that's absolutely worth giving up the potatoes. They're just burdening you anyways. Let's pray. We're going to spend some time to just respond. Maybe you're here today and you have, uh, you're hearing for the first time or for the first time that makes sense to you, wow, salvation is a gift. I don't have to earn it. Therefore, I don't have to stress out about my, uh, my inability to be perfect. Instead, I just can, right now, I can bring me to God wherever I am and say, Lord Jesus Christ, I, I want you. I receive you. I receive your death upon the cross as full payment for my sin. I receive your righteousness as, as now my righteousness. I, the Bible talks about us being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. His goodness gets credited to our account. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ, not our own uh, failures. And so maybe today, you need to just receive the gift of God. Maybe for the first time, and maybe it maybe is a way to transform the way you live the Christian life. That's good news for you. Embrace it. Maybe today you are convicted by the, the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes and you're realizing, whoa, I'm a little too much like Simon Magus. I haven't let go of self. It's still all about me. I haven't given up self-will, self-ambition. I haven't gotten off the throne of my life and invited God to sit on it. I'm trying to drink the frappuccino while my hands are filled with the potatoes. Well, that, what does Peter tell Simon to do? Repent and pray to God and ask for forgiveness. It's that simple. Unfortunately, Simon doesn't want to deal directly with God. He's like, no, no, you pray for me. He wants, he wants some kind of an, an intermediary between him and God. But listen, there is nobody better positioned to pray for you than you. God is a personal God who wants a personal relationship with you. You don't need the pastor. God hears your prayers. Whenever our desire is to uh, be reconnected to God, to get into a right a relationship with God. It doesn't matter where we find ourselves if we will repent of our of our sinfulness and our selfishness and our self-will and say, God, I want you. Forgive me. I change. He will answer that prayer. Heavenly Father, you are good. And we thank you for the stories of the Bible that you have preserved them throughout the ages to teach us, to correct us, to instruct us, to comfort us. 
And so, Lord, we thank you for the story of Simon Magus. We learn from it. We make a, we make a choice today. We are not going to make the same mistake Simon made. We want a faith that is real, a faith that is pleasing to you, the kind of faith that you uh, honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.